Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Get to the Point. Joe DeLeon here with the wonderful Sean Anderson here back in the Ranger studio at the University of Rhode Island. And plenty to talk about considering all the interesting headlines that have come from probably one of the most polarizing week twos in recent NFL, you know, a, recently uh, history of the past few years. A lot going on. Real, uh, real exciting week. And the first thing that comes to mind is the struggling kicking situations in which over the first two weeks, eight missed PATs across the league, 23 missed field goals. Notably, only one field goal missed within 40 yards and then 22 missed field goals beyond 40. And then there were a couple of big games that were affected. The Vikings-Packers ended in a tie because Dan Carlson missed a bunch of his field goals. He missed three, I'm pretty sure. And then um, Zane Gonzalez ended up in Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. he ended up blowing the game for a victory against the New Orleans Saints. And I always love this when this happens, when someone in sports that's really not that big of a name does something that affects a victory. Everyone swarms to Twitter and tweets at the wrong guy. I don't know if you saw that, but there was a... Uh, was there a different Zane Gonzalez? Yeah, there's a different Zane Gonzalez <laughs> who's a, a graduate assistant at Rio Grande that's a baseball coach. And everybody was just shooting at him. And so he took a screenshot of his phone showing all these mentions. And then he, he tweeted out with it, guys, I'm just a college baseball coach. And then I thought it was really kind of funny that that thing blew up for him. And he used that to his advantage. And you know how people do that where they'll, in the, they'll reply to the tweet. And they'll put some type of link just to try and get some notice from people. Right. So he put the recruit questionnaire for Rio Grande Baseball in order to get some recruits. I think uh, get to the point Twitter uh, frequents that that strategy also. Oh, oh yeah. On the <laughs> <laughs> That's at GTTP podcast on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we had a little fun on Twitter. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about that or not. I We can't. Are we gonna bring up? No, I'm gonna get gonna, fired up if we bring up. Yeah, we're gonna we're we're not gonna bring it up, but it was fun watching Baker Mayfield light up Matt Milner. That's all we're gonna say. We're gonna keep that out of it, but we're gonna go back to talking about kickers, and we've got a little help to do so. And joining us now to discuss the recent kicking gaffes that happened in Week One, which is really the headline. Sorry, not from Week One, from Week Two. One of the biggest headlines is Ryan Weeks, who is a former All-American kicker at Tennessee Tech and had multiple tryout opportunities with NFL teams. It is knows Sean, uh, apparently, so uh, Sean's going to give us a little <laughs> bit on that. But uh, take it away, Sean. Yeah, uh, how's it going, Ryan? Good, thanks. How are you? I, I'm doing well. I bet on the Browns this week, so it didn't work out that well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, over the first two weeks of the season, ki- uh, kickers across the NFL have combined for Eight missed PATs, 23 missed field goals. Uh, notably, only one field goal, though, was missed within 40 yards, so there's 22 beyond the 40. Uh, as a kicker, how do you view the kicking landscape in the NFL now? Uh, I, I think it's largely been the same for, uh, I'll go back 30 years, and, and, and I started saying this about 30 years ago, teams some teams started treating their kickers like disposable lighters and, and they would they would flip them out very quickly and you know oftentimes they would get rid of some of the more senior kickers to save a little bit of money on the salary cap and in my opinion you get what you pay for and I think that's proved itself out over the last you know couple few decades I agree too because I think Joe and I have both noticed the quick and rapid overturn of these young kickers getting drafted actually drafted out of college uh, into the NFL and they only last it seems uh you know two to three years and it's just a whole nother restart 
Yeah, I'd say that uh, that's really the toughest time in, in any you know uh, NFL kicker's career is the first couple of years because especially in the first couple of years, you probably have a two-week leash. That's it. If you have two bad weeks in a row, you're out, and they'll bring somebody else in, and there's always another crop of kids coming the year behind you. Uh, for the veterans, they have a little bit longer leash. You know, If they have maybe a bad month or maybe three games in a row that are really bad, uh, combined with an injury, you might be out. But then you have situations like we had down here in Dallas where, you know, they let Dan Bailey go at the start of the season, who was at the time the you know second most accurate kicker in, in NFL history. And it was, you know, they didn't say this in the, in the news, but it was because they saved three and a half million dollars in the salary cap. And so now he's, you know, with the Vikings after, uh, you know, they had some struggles this past week. Uh, so, uh, Ryan, I got a question for you. Uh, I'm actually also a specialist as well. And from what I understand from talking to some NFL guys, um, is is the market for kicking really not that, or or sorry, is it more competitive than other other position groups? Would you say like from what I've noticed that it seems like a lot of kickers, if they're not doing well, they can bring in a guy that's probably just as good as him, or can maybe end up performing better than him. Yeah, if you think about it, if you think about it, you just take all the Division One kickers, and there are also good kickers at the lower levels, but, you know, let's just say that there are at least 20 every year, and I believe there are that could play in the NFL. Well, you know, go go back into college four years or go forward four years out of college, you've probably got at least 150 people out there that could kick uh, fairly well in the NFL. So it's a, it's a cutthroat type of position right now, but I think all of them are like that. You know, whether you're a long snapper or a punter or, you know, any other position on the field, uh, they'll swap you out in a minute if you're not doing your job. It's a big business. And then the other thing that I, I, I've kind of gotten the impression of is that it seems like for any special teams position and lately for kickers is that scouting departments have really had trouble scouting good kickers. Roberto Aguayo being the perfect example who got drafted way too high and now he doesn't even have a job. Do you, do you kind of get that kind of sense? <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I don't really know what to attribute that to other than, and I don't know this for a fact, but I don't think most of the special teams coaches in the NFL are ex-specialists. It doesn't mean they don't know anything about special teams, but they may not be experts either on kicking or punting, and they bring somebody in based on some advice that they got, and it doesn't work out. And sometimes it's, it surprises everybody, but um, there's always that going on too. Yeah, Ryan, I... <laughs> that's really uh, that's really great, really analytical. Just one more quick question before you go. You know, over the history of kicking, is there one kick that you've seen that has made you cringe to your to your bones? <laughs> Just one kick that you instantly remember. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, I kind of feel feel sorry for the guy when I say this, but you know, when Scott Norwood missed that field goal uh, in the Super Bowl, right? I, 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 you know, I knew that he was having a bad day, and sometimes as a kicker, you just you go out, you warm up, and you can't seem to get it dialed in. You're spraying it left or right, and you could tell that he was having that kind of a day. And then he got put in that position, but that's his job, and, and he missed it. And that was that was just a tough one. Yeah, I'd say for me it'd be the uh, Blair Walsh one. Uh, oh yeah, versus the Seahawks a couple years ago. Oh the, yeah, the 19-yard chip shot just pulled it left. Yeah, wow. and the shorter they are <laughs> as a kicker, you know, the worse you feel about missing them. Yeah. But you guys may know this: it's the it's the 19-yarders on the hash. You know, the really really short ones, especially in college and high school, that are the hardest kicks on the field because the angle is so severe. Mm -hmm. You just can't get your brain around the fact that you have to push it or pull it so far. 
Right. Would uh, would have Coach Smith t- taken it easy on you if you would uh, miss that <laughs> miss that one kick? <laughs> yeah, he was always pretty hands off, uh, and Coach Smith wasn't a uh, he wasn't a you know a kicking coach or a punting coach either. He was our special teams coach and our defensive coach. But even at Tech, when I was there, we didn't have anybody that was a, a kicking expert. You know, it was uh, I got the same advice from most of the coaches: keep your head down and follow through. Right. <laughs> All right, well, thank you, Ryan, for giving us that wonderful perspective on the uh, world of kicking. Helps bring us a little bit different look on, on things right now in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, thanks yeah, thanks. For, yeah, thanks for coming on. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Talk to you later. All yep. right, thanks, Ryan. Yeah, and for our listeners that didn't understand the Coach Smith reference, that is Coach Mike Smith, who spent a lot of time in the NFL with the Baltimore Ravens, probably most notably the Atlanta Falcons during their big playoff run in 2013, mm-hmm. and now he's on the Bucks. So I think that's a pretty cool little insider bit for our listeners. Yeah, and also for anyone that doesn't know, the reason why Shane – or I almost called you Shane. Sean, <laughs> damn, how long have we been doing this for? And I almost called you the wrong name. Yeah, I've known you since freshman year, buddy. Okay. And uh, the reason why Sean knows Ryan, he uh, his dad actually played with Ryan in college at Tennessee Tech, former Division One football player. But we got plenty more headlines that we want to go over and talk about. And the first one being, which kind of blew up everywhere that we saw – was Josh Gordon is being traded to the New England Patriots for a conditional fifth-round pick. And that fifth-round pick is affected by if he plays 10 games or not. If he does not play 10 games, the Patriots get an additional pick. I believe it's a late-rounder. But the only question that I want to talk about this is, are we going to get the Josh Gordon that everyone thinks that they're going to get? As I've said before, why would anybody think that they would get the Josh Gordon that they think that they're going to get. The Josh Gordon that they should be expecting to get is a Josh Gordon that won't play. Mm. Why Why would you uh, argue okay. that, that he's going to be... Here's the only way that I look at it, in, in, yeah. and it's in the sense that I don't want to pick a side yet because his story is too hard to read. From when I was when How? I from when I was How? How is it too hard to From reach when out? I was I was listening to the 985 the Sports Hub and apparently the Browns what they did is he's got he has two brothers. One of them is, you know, very great influence on him, so they asked him to move to Cleveland and, and be around him, but he has a bad brother that is the bad influence on him and is the one that keeps dragging him into doing some bad things. So this is really indicative and affected by how smart that they are in trying to protect Josh. It is very hard to do. It's not an easy job of monitoring an NFL player when they don't want to be monitored. But the way that I look at it is that if if he can find a way to build and buy into the environment that is of the New England Patriots, which is a business, super serious, nothing like the Cleveland Browns, and if he can buy into that and use that as a way to distract him from the other things that have impacted his, li- his life, negatively then potentially we could get the good josh gordon yeah so josh gordon is the first person in the nfl with like some type of issue or family issues is he the first one i'm not saying he is okay so why are we making an exception for him just because he had two back-to-back 200 yard games three years ago because he led you know he led the nfl in receiving yards that year three years ago but the point of the matter is is that he hasn't played a he is capable of being an all-pro receiver but he's just done some dumb stuff and made some very big mistakes. 
So why and, would he be a capable teammate? Why would you put any trust that he would be able to produce? It's not a matter if he's a capable teammate right now. It's a matter if they can get him on track and get him to become a capable teammate. The buyout is incredible. The price that they paid for him is incredibly Oh, it's minimal. a great deal. I mean, it's, it, it's a incredibly low minimal. risk, yes. high reward deal for the Patriots. So uh, the way I look at it right now is that they just need to get him to change his mentality, which is very difficult to do. But if anybody is going to do it, and I know that Bill Belichick is not some type of god in communicating with people, but if if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. I think it's ridiculous all the the flash that he's getting. Just why why does he why is he in the spotlight? He led the league in receiving one time. You know who did that also? T.Y. Hilton two years ago. And he's not in the spotlight. Why Why do we crown him as this top-notch receiver that it's, oh, the biggest steal in the world, that, oh, we got him? Why do we do that? And not T.Y. Hilton, who is probably the most underrated player in the NFL. This is infuriating to me that every sports media outlet is covering this like he's going to be Randy Moss. I'm not comparing him to T.Y. Hilton, so I'm kind of ignoring that little little add-in you had there. But the reason why he's so hyped up is because he's six foot three and can potentially run a sub four four forty. And has played less he, than twenty games is, in the NFL. He is as athletic as Calvin Johnson at the receiver position. He has the size, he has the the build, he has the capability to light up and dominate football games if you can include him in your scheme in the correct way. Has he but but the problem is is he hasn't been on the field. That is the only thing that is that has held him back. You know who has been on the field? T.Y. Hilton. Stop. Stop. I hate, I'm just you saying, I yeah. hate it when you do this where you just randomly go, oh, this guy is the perfect yes, example because of why. He also led the, te- the led the league in receiving yards before. Uh, okay. But and he hasn't missed T.Y. games. Hilton. Can we stop How talking am I gonna about T.Y. Hilton? Stop talking about T.Y. You want to talk about physical gifts also. He's one of the fastest receivers in the league. But he's not 6'3". He's still one of the fastest receivers in the league. All right. But that's a different physical attribute. Why John Rosh get drafted so high? Because he was so fast. Yes. Okay. I'm saying Josh Gordon is an athletic freak, and he has and he has good hands, and he has the capability to take over games, but he has not been able to. That is why the Browns or not the Browns, the Patriots took a waiver on him and cut Corey Coleman. That is why. It is specifically why. That's fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone can get ahead of themselves. I think it's absolutely ludicrous. Uh, it's not. They're not getting ahead of. I don't think anyone's getting ahead of themselves. It's exciting that if he can play right away and if he can get in the games and be a dominant force that he's capable of being. That is all I'm saying. So the the next point that we have here is that there are a bunch of big name 0 and two teams, and you could actually even count in there the 0 and one and one teams, which are the Steelers and the Browns. Nah. There is the all right. We, yeah. We'll keep him out of it. Okay. But eleven percent of those teams, and this was on Sunday Night Football and NBC. Eleven percent of those own two teams make it back to the playoffs. The teams that are included in this are the Raiders, the Seahawks, the Browns, or not? Yes, yeah, not the Browns. The Giants, uh, the Lions. I'm trying to think who else I'm forgetting here. I had the list, but I I'm, I poorly did not put this in my notes. But the Texans. Texans are one of the own two teams. Of those that are that are that are being named, who has the potential to maybe make it back to the playoffs? The Texans do, in my opinion. Okay, I think the the AFC, AFC South is very weak aside from. Uh, oh, and Jacksonville. Uh, I, I believe the Indianapolis Colts are also one of those teams. No, the Indianapolis Colts beat the Redskins last week. They did. Oh, my apologies. You took that pick in our pick'em. I forgot. 
I forgot. <sighs> okay. Where was I? Texans? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think the Texans in the AFC have a very solid chance out of all the other 0-2 teams of making the playoffs. I don't think the Lions have a shot after falling 0-2 in that division. I just don't. I mean, long season. Granted, it's a long season. But I think that they, if they don't, if the Lions don't get their act together real quick, they don't have a shot. I think that the Texans, they can win one of their next two and be one in three, and they could still possibly have a shot. I think that they could have, or that they do have a very high ceiling when it comes to offensive capabilities. I think that their defensive line is stellar. Uh, they need to have better play from their linebackers and their defensive backs. I think it just is going to take a little more time. Well, looking at these teams, and I have the full list now, it's Houston Texans, Oakland Raiders, Seattle Seahawks, New York Giants, Detroit Lions, Buffalo Bills, Arizona Cardinals. Seven teams. And I'm, I'm looking at this list, and I'm going to go with, with, with option C, which is none of them. I don't like – there's not a single team in here that's really like – Oh, they have so much potential. But realistically, no. The Texans might be good defensively, but that unit has struggled to stay on the field the whole season. Their offensive line is terrible. Absolutely terrible. They got rid of Dwayne Brown, so they don't have anybody. They didn't go out of their way to draft anyone. And I'm, I haven't really been that impressed with Deshaun Watson after two weeks. He need I need to see a little bit more from him if I want to be confident in that offense. I agree. And, and frankly, I mean, what, what's the stat lines that DeAndre Hopkins has put up? He's not, like, taking over the games like he's usually had been doing in the past. I'm, 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 I might be wrong, but they have been underperforming, and they should be the team that, that I want to be saying could get back on track, but I don't see it. Yeah, but in, in recent Texans lore, it normally comes down to the last, especially in the AFC South, the last five games of the season. Yeah. With all those teams sitting at what, what would it be, like, 6-6. Six and six. The rest of the, the game is just up for grabs. So I, I think that the Texans, out of the out of the 0-2 teams, I didn't know that none of them were a choice. So thanks for that for that heads up on the <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I on knew the you were going to say something. I that. didn't know that, that we had that option. But I'm going to stay true to the question that was presented okay. and say that the Texans. All righty. So the next point that we're talking about, an absolute shocker for all of us, anyone in the sports community, is that the freaking Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 2-0. Ryan Fitzpatrick has been playing a man-possessed, and he has thrown for 400 yards in back-to-back games, four touchdowns in back-to-back games, and he also rushed for one touchdown in week one. And then he just strolls into the post-game press conference like an absolute badass wearing, wasn't that Deshaun Jackson's outfit that yeah, he was wearing? Yeah, he had some of his. Just, <laughs> I, nobody knows what's going on in that locker room or how in the world they're being productive right now with Ryan Fitzpatrick and why he's balling out. But I, it's just, it's an enigma. It's completely impossible to wrap your brain around how this is doing so well right now. Should Jameis be scared? I think they're, they're going to end up turning back to Jameis. I, I hate to say it, but I think they're going to end up turning back to him. I agree. I think the second that Ryan Fitzpatrick has one bad game, they're going to go right back to Jameis Winston. And they're just going to go right back to 4-12. and 12. Well, Actually, the way that I look at it is I think that they're going to be dumb and they're going to they're going to throw it right to him as soon as his, his suspension is up because they've put so many assets into Jameis Winston 
the team's been built around him. He drafted a first overall pick on Jameis Winston. He has the capability to play better than Ryan Fitzpatrick for, for you know, the sake of 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 playing football. But I just I don't I can't imagine that they're going to keep going to Ryan Fitzpatrick. But again, props to him though for going out there and balling out. We we have a lot of serious points on this show mm-hmm. where we argue a lot, but it's nice to be able to come together and just enjoy seeing Ryan Fitzpatrick do this to NFL defenses. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, no. I can't wait to All light right. you up in this next segment. <laughs> All right. So the last point that we're going to talk about. What are you talking about? We also have Antonio Brown. We have a, we oh. got a, if we want to touch on uh, okay, Dante so Davis. We have two more points that we're going to go and over. We have upside, I, downside, uh, and we got who you got. All right, all right, all right. You don't need to, you don't need to jump all over me on the on the. Get strapped list. in, listeners. All right, it's so a big boy show today. The, the, the next point before we start talking about next week, though, and some other things, <laughs> is that Antonio Brown, if any of you might recall, was being a bit emotional during the Steelers game in which he only put up 67 yards. He refused to celebrate with his teammates after a touchdown. Um, He got into an argument with their offensive coordinator. And then a former PR representative that was with the Pittsburgh Steelers called him out and said that if he was not with Big Ben, he would not be performing the way that he is. And there were some lashing from Steelers fans on Twitter as well. And then immediately the response from Antonio Brown is not the one that you want to hear from a guy that is supposed to be the face of your franchise, if not one of the faces of your franchise, in which he said, trade me and we'll see we'll see what I could have done and or what I could do on a different team, which is just not what you want to hear from a guy that was being an emotional mess on a sideline. And this is transitioned into Antonio Brown even missing Monday meetings and film review and not being there without a real excuse. Nobody knows why he wasn't there. Do you think this is bad? It's a bad look for sure. It's a bad look. Why is I don't, that? I don't know if I don't know if the story is possibly getting spun where they're saying, "Okay, Antonio, take a day. You know, we'll get back to you. We trust that you'll watch the film and do all this." I don't know if the media is just spinning it. Oh, he missed it. Oh, he didn't show up. Like, we don't know that yet. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that's the case because I like Antonio Brown. Well, the the one thing, though, that I th- I just – I hate to see a situation like this is in the, in the sense that he's never had any um, attitude problems. He's always been a – role model in that sense and he's just took a complete 180 acted like a child and completely mishandled the situation I would not be surprised if at the end of the season and I'm not saying the odds of this are great but if he wasn't there if they decided to blow this whole thing up and they sold all their assets because Le'Veon Bell won't be coming back and they decided to see what they could get for Antonio Brown and then Ben Roethlisberger could potentially be no more Ben who? Ben Roethlisberger okay that's what I said. There was a but I'm, I'm there's just a couple tra- the different po- syllables thrown point, into that the name. The point I'm trying to make, though, is I would not be surprised if this was a small, tiny little fracture that caused an, a complete rip across this locker room and this whole organization. Would not be surprised. Okay. Um, I'm going to respond to that later on in the show when I get get to my um, – when we get to our – 
upside downside portion. Now the next big headline, and it's also slightly Twitter related because there were some pretty interesting comments that came from it, but in the middle of the Bills getting thrashed this weekend, Fonte Davis, who used to be an all-pro, Pro Bowl caliber corner, literally put his street clothes on, walked up and walked out of the locker room, and he said, I'm done, I'm retiring. And a lot of people in that locker room for the Bills said it was a completely disrespectful thing to do, but in the history of sports, nothing like this has ever really happened. Do you think he had a right to? Do you think he should have walked away like the way he did? Well, Joe... Let me take you back in time. Okay. So it's my junior year of high school. You know, I'm playing baseball in the springtime. I'm pitching. And then during the game, there's this, ki- there's this guy on the team. I'm not going to name his name. I don't think he listens. He probably wouldn't care anyways. He was very proud of this. During the middle of the game, I guess he got into a little altercation with one of our coaches. He then proceeded to take off his jersey, take off his cleats, take off his pants, <laughs> and walk out of the dugout, hop the fence, and leave the game. Didn't return to the team. During the middle of a game. Well, this is a little bit different of a situation. I'm just saying that this has happened in sports before (laughs) to me where a guy literally walks out of the game half naked. Well, (laughs) in this context, though, that Vontae Davis actually came out and said, that his reasoning for getting up and leaving was just that one they were getting hammered, but uh, that's not he's not going to come out and say that. But I think a valid reason is what he said is that the game was just moving way too fast for him. He was not at the same level. He could not keep up physically with the guys that are on the field. That was and he valid. Fa- I don't think it's valid. If he retired after the game, yes, it's a valid excuse. If you're physically not able to go through a 16 game season, it's not fair to your body to put yourself through it. But him doing in the middle of the game is what what kind of made it blow up a little bit more than it needed to. Yeah, I don't know how you how you have any sympathy for something like this. I mean, that's just something that you don't do within the sport of football. I mean, it's literally you're out there on the field mm-hmm. shedding your blood and sweat with your brothers and then you're just going to abandon them. Well, they're still doing their same job. I, I, I have no sympathy for this. I just think it's funny, though, that the Bills have become such a laughingstock that he literally just got up and left and didn't didn't want to be a part of that anymore. I don't think one part of this is funny. I think it's just You don't think it's a funny situation? No. All right. It's abandonment. He abandoned his well, team. Well, it's abandonment. It's just but I don't know. It's 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 kind of jovial in the sense that it's good word. Good word. Good word. That's that's two weeks in a row you every, pulled a good word every out. Every time I use I'll a give good it word, you, you got to give me like I'm just saying it's a good word that well, you Well, one use. of these days I'm just going to throw out good words and you're just not even going to notice them. Hey Joe, what does circumlocutive mean? Uh, it, it means someone that talks in circles and talks around themselves. Yeah, I taught you that word the weekend. Yeah, you. screw yourself. You didn't, for, you didn't forget <laughs> it, did you? <laughs> All right, well, we're done talking about Vontae Davis because you All just right. – <laughs> The last talking point that we have is that there are two extremely statistically dominant defenses in the NFL right now, that being the Jacksonville Jaguars and that being the Khalil Mack Bears. And Jacksonville – has four sacks, one interception, one fumble recovery. Wait, does this say two receiving touchdowns? What do you mean two REC? Jacksonville has four sacks. Sorry, I laid out the statistics. Yeah, I did. One interception, one interception, one forced fumble, two fumble recoveries, and one touchdown, and they have a zero turnover dis- differential on Okay. The what was the REC? I don't understand. Fumble recovery. Oh, okay. REC. okay. And then opposed right. to that, Chicago, 
10 sacks, two interceptions, five forced fumbles, two fumbles recovered, mm-hmm. two touchdowns, and they have a plus one turnover differential. Now, all over the social media sphere, it's Jacksonville defense, Bears defense. I want First, I'd like to know, ask you which defense do you think is, is better. Then we'll get to actually why, why we should take these two defenses with a little grain of salt. Um, the only thing that I can't I, – this is tough because it's hard to pick one because looking at these, I see 313 yards per game from Jacksonville. I see – 215 pass yards per game and then 17.5 points per game. It's two but, weeks in. It's two weeks it's in. It's two weeks in and they played the Giants week one. But then at the same time, they played the Patriots week two. So I don't know what to think of these stats because they gave up some decent yards to the Giants, but they also did a good job of shutting down Tom Brady. Yeah, and the, in Chicago, they played the Seahawks, who mm-hmm. were abysmal, and they played the Packers, who were not abysmal. So we, I think this is probably the best defensive comparison that we have in the league. Like when we go down a little more, we'll, we'll go through the the league leaders on defense. So I just want to know because this is a pretty even defensive matchup through two weeks. Who do you think is the better defense? I'm gonna say the Bears just because that they're getting after the quarterback a lot better. Five forced fumbles in ten sacks. You don't even need a secondary if you're going to be putting up that much production in the pass rush game. Khalil Mack is is not even the most like, or he is the most dominant. But he, I was, I joked and said the Khalil Mack Bears, but he's not the only guy that's doing all the work out there. They got Roquan Smith. They've got Danny, Leonard Floyd, Danny Trevathan. They no, got Danny Trevathan. He's enhancing everybody on that defense. It's it's the most exciting defense in the NFL. Yeah, they, that was the one piece that they needed to really throw themselves into a top level unit, and now they're at that level. But I, I I think that Jacksonville still is the best defense, just because they did beat the Patriots, they did beat the Giants, and Chicago does have one loss where they should have two wins as well. So right now, and I think that we can go throughout the year and readdress these two teams because it's very exciting to compare cra- contrast two different defenses throughout the year. At least that's what I like doing, especially, you know, when I play Madden fa- franchise mode, I like to see how the defenses are doing. It's fun to check in on them. Mm. And then just for an update, uh, do you want to go through the league leaders for us? Oh, yeah, on, go on ahead. Defense? Oh. So the leader in points per game is the LA Rams 6.5, which is <laughs> – I don't think they played anyone good, though. They played the Raiders and they played the Cardinals. Yeah, they've given up so, 13 points all year through two games. Rush yards per game is the Eagles 58.5. Pass yards per game – is that true? 161 yep. with the Redskins. Total yards per game is the Redskins at 247. Yep. Team with the highest turnover differential, Cleveland at plus 6. Which Cleveland is on track, maybe not this year, but next year they could be a top five defense. I agree. And then team with the most sacks, Chicago Bears, we already knew that. Huge numbers from from all of those teams. They're gonna any of those teams are gonna finish top five. They have the potential to do so. You think that the Redskins will finish top five? I wouldn't be surprised. They have Deron Payne and they also have Jonathan Allen. Jonathan Ryan Allen. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that defensive line. It's a good defensive line. It is. So we're going to go to a segment that we implemented last week and that we're going to keep doing every single week now, which is upside, downside. Sean, who is your upside of the week? My upside of the week, and I'm sure you have seen him somewhere, you know, across Twitter or Instagram or something, is Keelan Cole, the Jaguars wide receiver, number 84, who made the incredible one-handed grab that I think rivals Odell Beckham Jr.'s that he made in AT&T Stadium. He had seven receptions, 116 yards, one, and one touchdown on the day against the Patriots. 
He caught one of Blake Bortles' four touchdown passes of the day, count them four, and he led the team in receiving uh, to propel them to a victory. It was really cool to see someone like this step up after they had lost Alan Hearns and after they had lost Alan Robinson in the offseason. They didn't have Leonard Fournette. I think this performances like this solidify Jacksonville as a legitimate team where even when they are down personnel, they can still find a way. My upside, and I was debating between him and Blake Bortles because I, I, I want to talk about Blake Bortles just really quickly because everyone loves to bash the guy. Everyone likes to say, oh, if they, they need a new quarterback, they need to get rid of him. Leonard Fournette's the only guy on their offense. But he absolutely sliced up the Patriots' defense. And I, I have always been a supporter of Blake Bortles. He stuck it to he, him. He literally stuck it to all the haters out there, and I think he's got the potential to play like that the rest of the season. They just need to be smart in their offensive play calling. He needs a little bit of help in the scheme, and they don't even really need Leonard Fournette. TJ Yeldon will get the job done. But my guy is Patrick Mahomes, who set the record for most touchdowns in first two games of the season. He's finally taking over in the starting role. He threw 82.1% completion percentage, 326 passing yards, and a whopping six touchdowns, which was good for a 154.8 passer rating. Second-year guy, and he's just looked like a, a beast amongst boys out there on the field against a pretty formidable Steelers defense. It's not like that's a weak defensive unit they were going against, and he's just been been – an unstoppable force throwing the football. So downside now, though. Downside. Sean alluded to it, but what is your downside? I did allude to it. My downside of the week, and last week we foreshadowed that nobody is really safe from the downside, coaches, players, fans, etc. So my downside of the week, and I think this is incredibly deserving, Steelers fans. Your reactions on social media to being 0-1-1 are absolutely atrocious. You're 0-1-1, you have a top seven quarterback in the league. Le'Veon Bell comes in, you have a top, you have a, the best running back in the league. James Conner has stepped up for you. Be happy about that. Antonio Brown's still on the team for now unless you drive him away because you're so incensed that you're 0-1-1. It's a long season. You guys aren't in shambles. You have an exciting defense to watch. Simmer down. You have the most lively wide receivers in the game. You get to have fun at your games. They celebrate. They have a good time. There's a good energy in Pittsburgh that doesn't, I guess, aside from the general manager, you know, elite player personnel. I just can't stand seeing all the responses on the Antonio Brown trade me tweet when he's your franchise player and you all are teeing off on him like he's just um, you know, like a undrafted guy, it, it, somebody that doesn't perform for the team. Or it's, coming at him like he was a kicker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, it, it's just, I, I don't know. I thought that was really ugly from Steelers fans this week. So mine, and it's in line with my downside from last week, but Giants fans everywhere – have been harping on how terrible this offensive line is. And and this week, I'm coming after a different part of the, the Giants, and that is Pat Shermer and Mike Shula and the incredibly horrible 
play calling in which they had against the Dallas Cowboys. Get them. And, and and Pat Shermer was making excuses and saying that we need to execute better, we need to be smarter in our blocks. No, you and Mike Shula need to get a much better game plan because I do not know who in their right mind goes out and drafts a number two overall running back, one of the most elite running back prospects we've seen over the last few years, and you give him the ball running it 11 times. 11 times. He had 28 yards. I understand it. He wasn't getting the production that you wanted to. The offensive line was was allowing guys to get through, and he was getting bottled up before he, like literally right after he got the handoff, before he could get to the line of scrimmage. But you cannot get into a rhythm with 11 carries. This man needs to get 25-plus carries. I understand you were able to get him the ball. He had 14 receptions. Set a team record for receptions. He was able to get 14 receptions. But there were so many predictable instances in this game in which I knew it was going to happen. Third and short, guess what the play call was? It was some deep route or something downfield, and then a check down to Saquon Barkley. That's why he had 14 receptions. He only had 80 yards. He, there were just a bunch of dump-off routes yeah. to Saquon Barkley. It was... And then, oh, sorry, I don't mean to cut you Go off Go ahead. But Your rant. The, the, the other thing that, that boggled my mind, albeit it worked on fourth and short on the same drive, you run a QB sneak on fourth and short both times back-to-back. You would have looked so stupid if you got stopped on the second play because nobody in their right mind is going to go out there and call the same freaking play. It's so it's so predictable. It ended up working, but besides the point, it's just indicative of the whole lack of game plan for the New York Giants, and they just did not come ready to take on a very, very bad Dallas Cowboys defense. Joe, Terrible. Do you think that the next defense will have a, a man in coverage on Saquon Barkley on every play? For the flat routes, you think that no, they'll be able to predict that. No, because I mean, in the flats, if you watch the game, if you do what the Dallas Cowboys did, which I bet you the Houston Texans are going to do it in Week Three, but if you do what the Dallas Cowboys did, which was force Odell into situations where he might not be have a guy on him one on one, but you force him into situations where he's not going to be getting a, a football. There was like a he was triple teamed on triple teamed on one deep throw that was thrown to him that ended up getting batted down by Jalen Smith. But if you're able to lock off him, Evan Ingram, and Sterling Shepard and just force them into situations where it's too tight for them to get the ball, let them throw those dump-off routes and let Saquon get get tackled after a four-yard game because he wasn't really breaking any big plays. I agree. All right, now uh, we're a little pressed for time here, so we're going to get to who you got. Yeah. So through two weeks, though. Okay. Joe has an average of 53%. No, no, wait. Game's right, yeah. Oh, two weeks, I had 66. I have a, okay, I, I had 43% average, yeah. Okay. Joe, this last week, mm-hmm. you had 60, 66% correct, so here's a handshake. Good good job. Okay. Well, I'm you whooping your ass. And I had a 53%. Step up your game. So, Joe is 2-0 and mm-hmm. between the two of us. All right. It's going to change this week, I'm calling it. No, not even close. <laughs> um, Let's get right into it. We're going to rip these off. Jets-Browns. Jets. Browns. Saints, Falcons. Saints. Saints. Packers, Redskins. Packers. Packers. Colts, Eagles. Eagles. Um, Colts. Bills, Vikings. You know Wentz is coming back. Uh, Eagles, Eagles, Eagles. Okay, so. Bills, Vikings. Vikings. Oh, but I can't believe I took so long to think that one through. Vikings. (laughs) Raiders, Dolphins. Gruden's getting his first win this week. Raiders. Dolphins, Broncos, Ravens. Do you know the Dolphins are 2-0? Yeah, you know the Raiders are 0-2, and I bet on them both weeks. 
Yeah, why would you bet or on them? Not bet on them, pick them. Excuse me. But you, you, uh, yeah, yeah. We're, th- to be fair, there are no NCAA violations occurring yeah. here. Picks. Broncos, Ravens. Broncos. <laughs> Ravens. Panthers, Bengals. Panthers. Mm, Bengals. Giants, Texans. Texans are going to win. Texans. Jaguars, Titans. <laughs> Jaguars. Jaguars. Chiefs, 49ers. That's going to be an excellent game. Chiefs. Chiefs. Chargers, Rams. 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 Cowboys, Seahawks. Seahawks. Cowboys. Bears, Cardinals. Bears. Bears. Patriots, Lions. I got the Lions. I do. Patriots. I don't oh, know why. You're why? Why? Because oh, what Josh Gordon is probably right. What? That's not my reasoning. Wait, They've been terrible. The yeah, Lions. I, I'm sure the Patriots are the Lions be suck so much right better, now. Right? The, okay. the Lions are, are are a couple losses away from blowing the whole thing up. Steelers, Buccaneers. Buccaneers. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the Buccaneers here. Wow. I like Fitz Magic. I love Fitz Magic. All right, that is all we have for you folks today. Thank you for tuning in. This was another wonderful episode. A little bit longer than usual, but we had some. Pretty good conversations, I'd like to think. Uh, yeah. Uh, thanks to Ryan Weeks for coming on. Mm-hmm. We really appreciate taking your time out of your day and accepting the time change differential. Also, follow us on social media. Interact with us. DM us already, please. We're sick of not having DMs. Thank you, folks, for <laughs> tuning in. Check us out next week. Also, follow us at GTTP Podcast. We'll have another episode for you next Tuesday. Have fun. <laughs>